Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Back in August, I had the opportunity to travel to Canada with the pastoral management team here at Salem Alliance. And we were going there for a training event and to kind of spend some time together listening and praying. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to do some hiking. So one afternoon, we uh, went online and we just kind of Googled what are good hikes in the area. And we found one that said moderate. And we thought, oh, that's great. Because when we got there, what we ended up doing was hiking straight uphill for three miles. It's pretty awesome. It was beautiful, though. I got to take this picture with my phone at a certain point there. It was, it was really quite amazing. But as we got closer to the top, it was less hiking, and it was more literal just climbing up, hands and feet climbing. And then at the top, there was kind of all the way around these just huge cliffs. Now, some of the um, safer, possibly more intelligent members of the team kind of a little bit away from the edge, backed away and sat down and enjoyed the view. And some of us on the team decided that this would be a great photo op if we <laughs> went to the edge, took some jumping pictures. So that's uh, Steve Fowler on the right, that's me on the left. And um, we just wanted to show that we really have no common sense. And that, But here's the thing. It, it was a lot safer than it looked, quite honestly. We were a good four feet away from the edge of this cliff. I mean, Steve would have really had to shove to get me over the edge. But it was, it was an adventure, and it looks dangerous, but it, it was a controlled adventure, which is kind of how I like my adventures. I like my adventures with a little bit of control. But what happens when your controlled adventure gets out of control? What do we do in our lives when our controlled adventure gets out of control? This past summer, an advertising executive from China by the name of Chan Ming decided that he wanted to have the controlled adventure experience of being in a shark cage and being around close to sharks, but still in that safety of the cage. Now, you can't really do that in China, so he flew to Mexico and he booked this five-day excursion. I'm gonna show you a video of his controlled adventure, but before you see this video, know that, uh, that Chan is inside this shark cage and they're baiting the sharks around him, one trying to get it really close to him with this large chunk of tuna, and this is what happens. As you can see, it's in there with him. In the cage. It's in the cage. Oh my God. Oh. Was there anybody in there? <laughs> yeah. Nobody's in the cage. Oh yeah. And how long do you have to wait till you see this guy come up? Somebody in the cage? Yeah, somebody's in the cage. Somebody's in the cage. It has to be um, uh, Ming. It's Ming. And there he is. He's fine. All right. I, I wouldn't have showed you the video if he got eaten. That would have just been horrific. But doesn't that make your heart beat a little bit faster? Isn't that crazy? This controlled adventure that he was having suddenly 
became out of control. The protective cage wasn't so protective. That shark actually broke through a metal rod on that cage. And the cage that was meant to keep the shark out is now keeping the shark in with you. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine what's going through your head as you're in there and that thing is just thrashing around crazy? I think we live our lives a lot of times understanding that there's danger in the world. That the world is a dangerous place, but if we can build a protective cage around ourselves, then the truly dangerous things can't get to us. And maybe we even think that if we give our lives to Jesus, then that's like an industrial super strength cage around us, and truly then the bad things can't get to us. Corey Ten Boom was a concentration camp survivor and author, and she said this, the safest place is in the center of God's will. And there's truth to that. And she would know more than most people from what she experienced in her life. But sometimes I think we look at a phrase like that and we think, yeah, I've given my life to Christ and therefore I will be safe. We take that to mean that somehow when we become a Christian, we're bulletproof in a manner of speaking. That the bad things, the truly bad things really can't get to us. Now, on the other side of this, I read this quote this past week. The center of God's will may be one of the wildest, most dangerous places you can imagine. That's true as well, right? And we have to somehow live in this tension with the understanding that, yes, sometimes there's protection. Sometimes there's safety. And sometimes it's wild and it's dangerous. And if you're going to follow Jesus, sometimes the shark's going to get in the cage. When we follow Jesus, sometimes the shark is going to break into the cage. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're continuing in our series, Epiphany. Last week, Steve uh, put this definition up on the screen. An epiphany is a moment of sudden revelation or insight. It's a moment where we see a clearer picture of who God is. It's a moment where God reveals himself to us and we see a clearer picture of who we are. And I wanna let you know that we have a team of people here at Salem Alliance who are praying for you specifically in the month of December that you would have a moment of epiphany, that you would have multiple moments. So as we continue this series, know that people are praying for you. People are praying that God would reveal himself to you in such a way that you would have these moments. Now, last week, Steve talked about the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, and and four moments of epiphany that they had. And this week, we're going to talk about Joseph, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And here's the thing. I am so intrigued by Joseph. I have a million questions for him because he plays a pretty significant role in the whole Christmas story, doesn't he? And for as significant a role as he plays, we know very little about him. We don't know much about Joseph. You know, there is no recorded words of Joseph in Scripture. And I didn't know that until I started studying this. And I always thought that maybe at some point he was like, at least like, hey, let's go to Bethlehem. Or, hey, is there any room here? There's nothing. He doesn't say anything. He's in four chapters. First two of Matthew and the first two of Luke. We see him at the birth. We see him one moment when Jesus is 12 and then nothing. We don't know. We don't know how he died. We don't know when he died. We don't know any of that kind of stuff. But we do know that he received the most amazing news ever. That he received news that was going to change history. And that news that he received didn't put him on a safe path. 
That news that he received put him on a wild and dangerous path. The news that he received was the shark breaking into his cage. And we're gonna take a look at that this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter one, if you would. If you wanna grab one from the pew, we're gonna be on page 1515. Two different gospels tell the Christmas story, Matthew and Luke. Matthew is from the perspective of Joseph and Luke is from the perspective of Mary. So we're gonna be in Matthew this morning. And if if you see the beginning of Matthew, it just has a a whole long list of names and that's a genealogy and that just traces kind of Abraham to David and David to Joseph and to Jesus. And as we look, we're gonna look at three different kind of snapshots, the little we know about Joseph and we're gonna see three different dangers that he faced. Three different crazy things that happened in his life because he was obedient. And these are three things that also apply to our own lives. The first one we're going to look at is in uh, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And it says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And so we're kind of familiar with this part of the story, right? They're engaged to be married, and, um, and then all of a sudden, one day, she comes to him with this, I'm pregnant, and then gives him this line, but it's not anybody, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's like, Right. I mean, honestly, can you imagine this conversation? Can you see them like getting together and he sees her and he kind of gives her the half hug because there's other people around and she says, Joseph, we need to talk. And he has that sinking feeling that every guy does when they hear that. And she says, in private, and he knows nothing good's gonna happen in this conversation. And she says, you gotta hear me out. An angel came and I'm pregnant but it's nobody else, it's, it's God's son, and the Holy Spirit put a baby inside me. And as earnest as she is in sharing this story, he, he doesn't believe it. How could he believe it? There is no historical precedence for anything like this. You cannot, she cannot be like, well, you know what happened to so-and-so, or read, you know, read in the, in the old scriptures, there's, a, there's nothing. This is the only time in the history of everything that this was gonna happen. It's a once and done event. And so he's just like, I just, I can't, I can't believe it. But he's a man of grace and truth. You know, he knows what the truth is. He knows that he has to separate, but he's also graceful and he's not gonna expose her to the public and he's not gonna bring danger upon her life. He's gonna do it quietly. And then the shark breaks into his cage. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now think about this for just a minute. What an honor. What a beautiful moment. You know, what did this mean for Joseph? It means, God, you see me. It also means, God, you trust me. 
And what does this mean for the world? It means salvation is coming. Rescue is coming. Everything that's been prophesied about is going to happen right in this moment. But it does not set Joseph on a safe path, does it? As a matter of fact, Joseph's life becomes wild and dangerous. And there's a couple things that I think about. One in particular. Something I always think about around Christmas is, what was it like for Joseph to be the father of the father's son? How do you parent deity? (laughs) Was there just this dawning comprehension on him that this was just going to be a wild ride? Like, did he think all along the way, like, will I ever be able to teach him anything? Am I ever going to have to correct this child? Will I find myself saying all the time, why can't you kids be more like Jesus? (laughs) Did that come up? When Jesus is out, he's running and he's playing and he falls and he scrapes his knee and and Joseph runs over to comfort him and he's going to pray. Does he go, dear you, I pray. Like, what does he say? How do you, how do you parent deity? There's just, how do you, do you teach him to pray or does he teach you to pray? There's all these things that I wonder about, this, this dawning comprehension that had to happen. But the, the real thing is, is think of the disapproval and the ridicule that he was about to face. You see, an angel visited Mary, an angel visited Joseph, but an angel didn't visit all of their family and friends. An angel didn't visit the guys that Joseph worked with. An angel didn't visit their pastor. Nobody else knows the story but them. And so the danger that he faced is he lost his reputation. That's the first thing that we see. I mean, forever he was gonna be the guy with, oh yeah, the angel Holy Spirit story guy. And can you imagine Joseph thinking, God, is this how you're going to change the world? By ruining my reputation? I mean, we know that it takes so many good things that we have to do in our lives to build up a good reputation, and it only takes one bad thing to wipe that out. And that's what this was for him. He was doing everything right, and yet his reputation was just taking a hit. This did not look good on his resume as a follower of God. And you know what? Oftentimes our reputation takes a hit when we say yes to God. Oftentimes other people are going to look at us differently when we walk in obedience. That public opinion isn't always going to be on our side. And maybe it's at work and maybe it's at school and maybe it's even in your own family. Where you know people are going to look at you just a little bit different like, oh, you're one of those people. Oh, you believe that stuff, that outdated stuff. Oh, you believe that superstition stuff. Oh, you walk in those circles. Our reputation takes a hit. This past year, a guy by the name of Adam LaRoche retired from Major League Baseball. He'd been playing Major League Baseball for 12 years, and he was really good. But he had this habit of bringing his son to the clubhouse at home games and his family with him to away games, and he just felt like that's what he, what he needed to do. He loved Jesus and felt like God had called him to be a strong family man, and management said, don't do that. And then he went on a missions trip to Southeast Asia where he had the experience of rescuing young girls from oppression, and he just felt like God was calling him to something bigger and God was calling him to something deeper. So he said, it's time for me to retire from this game and do something real. And what he walked away from was $13 million. Right. And that's what the media said. Are you kidding? Who walks away from $13 million? You play two more years of baseball, you get $13 million. 
It's a game. Think of all the influence that you would have with all that money. Think of all the influence you would have in this position. And his reputation started to get some dents in it because people were like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you walk away? Our reputation sometimes takes a hit. But here's what John Wooden, the the famous basketball coach, he says this, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are that we have to be more concerned about our character. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter one. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He's saying, you can try and please people. You can try and live a life where you just have this good reputation and everybody looks at you and it's great, but you can't be Christ's servant doing that. Because when you say yes to Jesus and when you're obedient to Jesus, You're not gonna please everybody. Other people are going to find fault with you. Your reputation is gonna take a hit, and that's the first danger that we see. And then we have another next part of the story here. It happens in Luke chapter two, and it's probably the part of the Christmas story we're most familiar with. It's where they go off to Bethlehem, and and Jesus is born, right? Because there's no room in the inn, so they're in the stable, and in the manger, and all of that kind of... um, The ox and the lamb are keeping time and everything that the song says. Um, All that stuff happens there. And that's tough stuff too, right? But then the next part of the story about Joseph is in uh, chapter two. If you would just flip a page over there, we're gonna start in verse 13. Because as tough as everything was, it gets tougher. The shark is still thrashing around inside this protective cage that Joseph has. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Think about it. After all of this goes on, after all of this struggle, all of a sudden, God's like... Listen, I need you right now. Get up, get what you can grab, and go to Egypt. Think of how hard that would be. I mean, just the mere fact of traveling with a newborn, that's a tough one. You know, we sang earlier about Jesus, no crying he made. Right, whoever wrote that did not have children. (laughs) You can bet he cried. You can bet there was crying. And they traveled to Egypt, but think about what this journey meant. It's not like they could text their family and be like, yeah, listen, got to flee to Egypt. We'll be in touch. Send money. (laughs) What do you do? You go, right? Where were they going to live? Where was he going to work? How are they going to learn the language? Where was he going to go to church? What happens on on festival days and holidays and birthdays and and just all of these things? Do they get to see any family and friends? Do they even know where they are? And then, quite honestly, Egypt? You get delivered from Egypt. You don't go to Egypt. Egypt is a place that you flee from. And so all at once, Joseph and Mary and Jesus are refugees They're displaced people from their country in a strange land that they don't know much about. And can you imagine Joseph just saying, I got this news, this amazing news, but this isn't exactly how I thought it was gonna play out. 
I didn't really see the shark getting in the cage. I really didn't see the wild and dangerous path. The next dangerous thing is, is he lost his comfort and control. You can really see he just lost comfort and control at this moment. And that's a tough one for us because we love comfort and control. We like to call the shots. We like to be in control. We have a plan, a path, an agenda. We're control people. And we label it really nice. You know, we call it tenacity and leadership. We say, I'm an achiever, but really we're control freaks, aren't we? We want to be in control. And at the root of that, at the root of our desire to be in control is fear. At the root of it is fear because it's fear of what other people are gonna think about us and it's fear of how our life is gonna go. The, the underlying fear is this. If I'm not in control of my life, then things won't turn out the way I want them to turn out. If I'm not in control of my life, then things aren't gonna happen to me the way that they should happen to me. It's an uneasy feeling, isn't it? To be out of control. I was trying to think of what the perfect illustration is for lacking control. Um, have you ever taught a teenager how to drive? That's the laughter of experience. When you get in the car and you hand the keys over for the first time and you're just super nervous, right? And you've already checked the car and the brakes and you've got seatbelts on and airbag light on and, and you're just giving all kinds of commands, right? And you're like, okay, easy, 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 brake, 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 too fast on the accelerator. And you on your side do not have a brake, but all of us have pushed the imaginary brake <laughs> on the passenger side. And and you talk about like, ah, oh, wait, 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 you're too close to that car. And they're like, there's not even a car on the road, but there could be a car on the road. You're too close. And what you can't wait, the moment that you're waiting for is to get back behind the wheel. You cannot wait to get back behind the wheel and regain control of this car. And so as dad, I'm saying, okay, 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 I think we've gone far enough. And she's like, I just backed out of the driveway. And I'm like, well, we don't want to do it all at once. We're gonna take our time on this driving thing. And we wanna get back in control. Now it's one thing to do it with your teenager, but how often do we feel like, God, God, um, I don't really like where you're driving me. God, it doesn't seem like this is the safest route that we could be taking. God, I can kinda see a little bit down the road here and that looks really dangerous. So maybe, God, it would be better if I were driving right? That we want to be in control of our lives. Here's the thing, though. God has a plan, and it's going to happen. It says this in Proverbs 19. It says, you can make many plans. You can make all the plans you want to make, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. That, that God's will is going to prevail. And so what we need to do is we need to start balancing this. The more that we lose control in our lives, the more that trust should increase. The more that we feel like, oh man, I'm just, I just don't really, I don't really have it anymore. I'm not in control anymore. The more that our faith should go up. That's the second danger that Joseph experienced. That shark was thrashing around in there and he just had no control. And so he was like, okay, I'm gonna have to trust because I've lost it. The third Story that we'll look at real quick is, starts in verse 19. It says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. 
So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. Now, he was coming back to a region ruled by Herod's son. Herod's the one that, that slaughtered all the babies. And uh, he was coming back to his son. And this just give you a little perspective. If you can picture, you know, Egypt's down here in the lower left. And it's about 100 miles even just to the border from Bethlehem. And they came back to live in this area, but it was too dangerous. So God sent him up through Samaria to the north to Nazareth, another 70 to 80 miles kind of straight up there. And I really just say that to say that, that this was the middle of nowhere, that the most influential, important person in the history of the world grew up a refugee in Egypt and in the middle of nowhere. And I don't know what your vision of like the sticks is, but we just know that, that Nazareth had a bad reputation. Even in scripture, we see that in the first chapter of John. When Jesus is calling disciples and he calls Philip and Philip runs to, to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, we found him. This is it. This is the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is this, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the response. Like Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I was reading a commentator this past week, and he just said this, all the inhabitants of Galilee were looked upon with contempt by the people of Judea because they spoke a ruder dialect, they were less cultivated, and they were more exposed by their position to contact with the heathen. So basically what they're saying is, yeah, Nazareth, they're not as educated as us. They're not as sophisticated as us. They're those people. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. And the danger for that, that again, Joseph faced, was this, this being marginalized. This idea of being sidelined. Like, God, if you're going to change the world, you're going to do so from like the center of commerce. You're going to do so where there's people. You're going to go to New York City. You're going to change the world from L.A. You're not going to change the world from Salem. God, you don't change the world from Kaiser. You do it someplace bigger. Because we don't want to be marginalized. We want to be mainlined. We want to be in the mix. We want to be in the middle. We don't want to be on the sidelines. But you know what? Maybe God's doing something big while we feel like we're being marginalized. Maybe God's doing something big in our world while it feels like we're on the sidelines. It was a danger for Joseph. It's a danger for us. Now, we have one more glimpse of, of Joseph and Mary. It's in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12 years old. They've gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're coming home as a big family group. And at one point, Joseph and Mary kind of have this glance back and forth. And he's like, oh, hey, where's Jesus? And she's like, I thought you had him. And he's like, I thought you had him. And it hits him, this moment, right? We had one job. <laughs> Don't lose the Messiah. <laughs> right? We lost the Savior of the world. Where do you go from there? I don't even know. Now, this isn't to say that there weren't beautiful moments all along the way, because there were visions, probably more than we will ever see. There were angels visiting. There was prayer and prophecy that they got to experience. There was protection and provision that they got to experience. But by being obedient to God, it set him on a wild and dangerous path. 
As a matter of fact, being a Christian sometimes is less like a dance and more like a fight, isn't it? That there's going to be dangerous things that come our way. Joseph had quite a bit of danger in his life because he was obedient. And yet our mindset oftentimes is to avoid danger and pain and suffering at all costs. And it's a little bit because I think the Western worldview has rubbed off on us. The Western worldview is this, that the material world is all that there is. And if the material world is it, then the meaning of life is for us to have the ability to choose the things that make us the happiest. That if, if the material world is it, if this is all we get, then really what I'm going to pursue with my life is I'm going to pursue things that make me happy right now. And because suffering and danger and pain get in the way of that happiness, then we need to remove them. We need to get rid of those things. They need to be minimized. We need to manage that kind of stuff. We need to stay away from it. And what we've done is we've bought into a doctrine of self-preservation at the expense of a theology of suffering. We've bought into a doctrine of self-preservation at the expense of a theology of suffering. It's this idea that I'm supposed to be happy, I'm supposed to take care of me, I'm not supposed to have pain or suffering in my life. And so when opportunities are before us and when paths are laid out before us, if one seems like the right path, but it has some danger and we can kind of see that there's some bad stuff that's gonna happen, we're gonna choose something else. We're gonna avoid that at all costs because we're gonna preserve ourselves. We wanna avoid suffering as if it's bad weather. We're either gonna lock ourselves inside or we're gonna fly to Arizona. Whatever you do to avoid those kind of things. But we don't see that in the life of Joseph. We see a couple things where he just keeps walking forward into it. I just wanna point out two quick things that we can hang on to in closing. Two things that we learned from the, the life of Joseph when the shark burst into the protective cage of his life. What do we see? The first one is this. We see a pattern of quick obedience. At every turn, the angel comes, he does what the angel says. The next day, immediately, right then. That's what he does. He has this pattern. He doesn't say, wait, hold it, God. I'm gonna have to talk to my wife about this and then I'm gonna have to run this by my accountability group and then I'm gonna sit on it for a couple of weeks to see if it still makes sense. And those are good things. Those are good things to do. But when you know it's God, you walk in obedience. You say yes to God. We have to get away from this idea as well then that obedience means safety. That, okay, God, while I obeyed you, then you better take care of me. Because when you think that way, a couple different things can happen. One is, you start to say, oh, well, maybe it's me, maybe I'm not obeying because bad things are happening in my life and then you feel like, oh, I'm guilty. Just guilt washes over you because you're suffering. Or you're suffering and then you feel like, well, God, you're just a big, mean guy who's causing, I'm obeying and I'm still suffering. And so then you're angry and you can bounce back and forth between guilt and anger and you're, you're mad at yourself one moment and you're mad at God the next. But there's pain and suffering in your life sometimes because you are being obedient. Maybe you're just walking the path of obedience and that's why some of those things are happening. That's what we see in the life of Joseph. And you know what? Obedience isn't a high dive. It's a long walk in the same direction. 
Obedience isn't this like dramatic once and done event where you dive off and, and you land and you're like, I'm done. See, I did it. Obedience is a daily one foot in front of the other rhythmic. Eugene Peterson says it's a long obedience in the same direction. This pattern of obedience, the pattern of quick obedience, even when it causes a dent in your reputation, even when it causes you to lose comfort and control, even when you feel like you're being marginalized, I will continue to obey. The second thing we see in the life of Joseph is that he just had a lasting hope. You see, Christmas isn't the end of danger or difficulty but it is a light in that darkness. And immediately, the first thing that he's told is, yep, Mary's right, her story's right. This is God's son, and he's gonna save the world, and he's gonna be with you. He's gonna save the world, and he's gonna be with you. And as we're walking through suffering, and oftentimes, we have to be honest, there's no happy ending to our suffering sometimes. You know, sometimes there's great stories where, yep, there's resolution and somebody gets through it. And sometimes there's stories where people walk through suffering and there's more questions than answers. But we have the same hope that Joseph had. We have the same promise that Joseph had. We have a lasting hope. Joseph understood that there is a bigger picture going on. And sometimes we have to look up from the paragraph that we're living in and see the whole story. That we have the hope of Jesus, that Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that I will be with you always, that Jesus walked a path of danger, that he walked a path of suffering. And when we do too, he says, I'm right there with you. And so I don't know what your shark is. I don't know if maybe you're in the cage right now and you're looking out and you can see danger, or I don't know if you're in the cage right now and the shark is thrashing around like crazy. I don't know what that is. But we're continually called to be obedient to God and we can continue to have the hope in him that this world isn't it. This world's gonna end, but Jesus never is. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you for what it means in our lives. I thank you that we get to celebrate it. But I also thank you for the picture that it doesn't make everything easy right now. And so I pray that you would bless us with courage this morning. That you would bless this room with courage, courage to walk in obedience with you. Courage to follow wholeheartedly after you. And God, continue to keep our vision on you. Continue to just allow us to see you. Increase the hope that we have in our lives. In your name, Jesus, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash salemalliance.org.